Well, I want to go ahead and encourage you uh, to open up to Luke chapter 2 with me. I'm going to spend some time in verses uh, 39 to 52. I want to let you know about uh, just just these verses. Um, something crazy about the book of Luke is there are more unique stories uh, about Christ in the book of Luke than any of the um, synoptics for sure. And it's, it's, it's up there with John. Um, and this is one of those stories that is only recorded in, in the book of Luke. And I didn't really want to do this this Sunday. In fact, about a little over a week ago, I was looking at this and thinking, it's about a 12-year-old Jesus. Uh, it's a cute story. It's a fun story. But I don't really have much of a message to bring out of this story. And, and I was tempted just to, just to go past this. And so I was struggling in my mind with what is the message? Why is this here? And that's something I want to encourage you to do. And, and, and you may do that whenever you're in God's word and you're reading a story, whether it's, you know, in the gospels or wherever, ask yourself why it's there. Why is this chosen? The only story of boy Jesus that's at least uh, an, an ancient story, an early story, one that's from the gospels, the only story we have. Um, and so I hope to take you on a journey this morning, and I hope you're as excited about this as, as I was when I, I finally got excited about this and said, I can't wait to stand up and talk about this message um, of boy Jesus. I'm going to begin reading uh, just in, in verse 39. Uh, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom And the grace of God was upon him. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Everyone who, was, who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. I like it that it records that. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Second time it said this in this gospel. She stops, she thinks... She treasured this in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. I don't know how many of you parents have lost a kid before. Um, for three days. I wonder if you've ever lost a kid for three days. Um, wow. Can you imagine the conversation going back to Jerusalem? Now, now, how this happened, they weren't completely irresponsible in this story. He is 12 years old. There's a little bit of independence here. The women typically traveled separately from the men. There's a family. There's a caravan. But can you imagine the conversation? Um, Joseph, where's our son? Um, He's supposed to be with you. Now, this has happened recently with some of you, so I know you understand this. 
And then she says, you've lost our son. And then he says, we lost God's son. (laughs) Savior of the world. We had one task to raise him. And we failed. Three days to go back to Jerusalem. Now, as far as drawing parallels to the time in the tomb and all that, I think it may be there, but I'm not going to touch on it. I'm just going to say this. They go back to Jerusalem, and isn't it crazy that Jesus is doing exactly what he does through his ministry, questioning the Pharisees. As a 12-year-old, he's in the temple courts questioning them, and it says the same thing. Their response They were amazed at his teaching. That's something you're going to see throughout the Gospels. They were amazed at what he said. And the language it uses when he talks about questionings is is, is actually the language that they would use for the elite, for those teachers, that they they would pose questions to one another just like Jesus does later in his career and his life. And so this is the story, and you're looking at this and thinking, man, that's amazing, it's cool, but why is it here? Um. I want to begin just by looking at these words here in verses 49 and following. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? They did not understand what he was saying to them. Another verse that's going to happen throughout the Gospels. When his apostles hear something that he says, I I don't understand what you're saying. But I'm going to treasure this in my heart, right? This is what's happening. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God at men. It was 2 o'clock in the morning earlier this week that I got excited when I read that because something hit me. And I just said out loud in the middle of the night, Samuel. Okay? Now look at this. This is the song of Mary and Hannah. We talked about this last week. And I've always picked up on this. I said, man, isn't it crazy the parallel between Mary's song and Hannah's song. My soul glorifies the Lord. Holy is his name. He has scattered the proud. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. A lot of things that you wouldn't expect to find in either one of their songs. The circumstances were the same. Women that were not supposed to be able to bear children have now born children. A messenger has said, you're going to have a children, a child, it's going to be a miracle, this is what's going to happen, and they offer up this prayer. Hannah says this when she's in the, in the temple courts with Eli, she says, I was pouring out my soul to God. What a way to express what I was doing in prayer. I was pouring out my soul to God, and he says, you're going to have a child, and she lifts up this prayer. And then it hit me that everything in this section is intended to be a parallel to Samuel. The next thing you you find is Elkanah was going up with his family for the annual sacrifice. The next thing you found in Jesus' account was his parents were going to Jerusalem for the annual sacrifice of Passover. The next thing you find is he was 12 years old when he went there. Did you know that Jewish tradition history records, and it's in Josephus' Antiquities, that Samuel was 12 years old uh, when the event of God's calling happened in the temple. It says this in 1 Samuel 2.26, The boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. That's the one that hit me. I said, wait, that's a direct quote. He's quoting 1 Samuel. And so what I started to do, and you might do this later in your study, is I put one finger up here in Luke 2. It's easy to remember Luke 2. The other one in 1 Samuel 2. And I just kept going back and forth going, wow, he's, he's given us something. But there's a second question. Why? 
What is the purpose of this? And this happens throughout the Gospels. There's going to be specific windows, especially in the book of Luke, where we're going to be looking at Jesus through Samuel here. We, we looked at him, we looked at Gabriel, was there an amazing parallel last week that Gabriel is from Daniel and that's why Gabriel is in Luke. Later we're going to be in, in the motif of, of, of um, Elijah and, and Moses and David. And the gospel is written so that you would look at these characters, Elijah, Samuel, through Christ, and that you would look at Christ through these figures as well. It's what in, in Jewish study you call this midrash, how a scripture is written to comment on a different scripture and how they kind of explain each other is what's happening. So before we get into this text and what might be happening, I want to go back to Samuel. One of the craziest stories in the Old Testament. You have this boy and his mom has brought, brought him to the temple doesn't explain how this works, but she just said this, God, you answered my prayer. He's yours. And, and I couldn't believe this when I was reviewing this. And in, in 1 Samuel 3, it says he's not just at the temple. It's pretty clear in 1 Samuel 3 that his bedroom, he is taking off his shoes and laying down next to the menorah. In the same room with the Ark of the Covenant. Now we're talking about the same room that the high priest got to go into once a year. And this boy, it's his bedroom. He was raised in the temple with the Ark of the Covenant. And what's the story? God speaking to him softly at night. Samuel, Samuel, would you wake up? I don't know if that brings back memories of your childhood, 12-year-old self or not. My dad, I don't think we'd get up. No, he didn't really. But you think about this gentle, you're at home with your parents kind of a thing. This is his house. This is his home. The temple of God. And now you have Jesus as a 12-year-old, and he says this. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And you're supposed to think about this through the lens of Samuel. And once you get this, once this hits home with us, it breathes a lot more insight into things that Christ is going to say say later. He's going to say this. Get out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? He personalized the temple. This is going to be the beginning of a motif throughout, I keep using that word, this theme throughout the Gospels of, of calling him Father in this intimate way and then referring to the temple, this holy precinct, this holy building as my Father's house and treating it that way. He also says this in John 14 too, in my Father's house are many rooms If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Now, this image, I don't know, it was it was just like God hugging my soul kind of a thing to think about what this means for us and what message this carries for us. So many messages about the kingdom of God in the New Testament, so many messages about heaven are very confusing. Because it's very difficult to determine, is he talking about a future hope or a current reality that the Christian enjoys? And sometimes it's both, and sometimes it's very difficult to discern these things. 
And I know this, that in 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6, it talks about us as being the temple of God, that I'm living in his presence. I know in Hebrews 4, it says we have confidence to approach the throne of grace and come before him as though this is my home, this is my house. But there's something else in in Jesus' promise here where he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to make it so you are living, you are at home in the very presence of your Father. Um, I'll, I will never forget one of the most sacred moments I had with growing up. Was I was in my early 20s, and I had been gone from my house for two years. And have you ever been gone from your house for a long time and then come back home and seen your bedroom? And I wonder if you miss your bedroom growing up. You can still remember it. You can see what it was like. And you're like, this. just being back and saying, man, I, just, I wanted to be back here. The intimacy that you associated with that spot. I hope, not everybody, right? But the intimacy you associated with that spot. This is my, this is my home. Um, and I think about what it might be like when I come before my father and when I come before him in heaven. It says this in Psalm 65. Verse 4, blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. Psalm 23, 6, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It says again in Psalm 84, I'm just going to read part of this. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart, my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrows found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. You know, the Bible ends with this picture, picture of the temple of God, a scene opened in heaven of God's people. And it says there was, well, it says there was no temple in the city because God himself is the light. They are dwell in his presence. Um, I like to think about heaven. Um, I like to stop and think about what that's going to be like. And I bet your view of heaven has changed dramatically over the years. It went from songs about having a mansion up there and a hot tub in the back to, to just wanting to be in God's presence. And I think that's most people are like, I... What does it matter if I have a mansion? I just, I just want to be with my father. I just want to be in his presence. And this verse where Jesus says this, in my father's house are many rooms. It, 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 it's an echo of Jewish lifestyle. Did you know that if you married into a Jewish family, I uh, see all my family is here. I get to go to church with my family. But if I had married Melinda, then Larry would have added on a room to the house. And that we became a part. Your families grow like this and it's intimate. It's evolved. Now here in America, hey, I'm 16. I'm leaving. I'm going to Ecuador or something. You know, that's what I did. Um, we're out. We're going somewhere. But there's picture of intimacy saying, I want you in my father's house. You're part of our family. You're part of the throne room. That's a sacred picture. Jesus introduces that picture here in Luke chapter 2. And so this story that was just about his boyhood a funny story where you're thinking, man, how did they lose Jesus? 
this, this picture of him teaching the scribes and the Pharisees and, and having this exchange with them. Um, picture this. Noah, how old are you right now? Eleven, but you're eleven and three quarters. Okay, you're close. Okay, stand up, Noah. This, this is Jesus. Jesus. Now, Jeremiah was in here a minute ago. He is 12, and he actually looks like Jesus. Um, but, but, but this is, this is, picture this, 12 years old, standing in the temple courts. And here's what I want you to hear Jesus teaching, that he teaches throughout his life. I asked him if it was okay to embarrass him already. And so uh, he's like, I'm good. Uh, the funny thing about this is, they treated God as he were this high and you can't approach him kind of boss in the sky. And Christ comes, Jesus comes as this 12-year-old in their presence and say, you're talking about my father. This is my father. This is about intimacy and this is what God is coming to restore. Not this the great judge in the sky, and you were the people on earth. That you... No, my father, who is also your father, and he wants to prepare a place for you to come and stay so we can take our socks and shoes off and the holy of holies and lay down there. Our home. Okay, you sit down. This story that I didn't even, I was not going to even talk about this today because I didn't have a message, and I was thinking, why is this here It's another revelation of what happens when you get excited about the Bible and you say, he's calling back to Samuel. There's a message he's speaking through Samuel and there's a message he's speaking through Christ. And it's actually one of the richest messages you're going to find in this gospel. God does not want to be, for any of us, a distant God. A God that is is what the Pharisees and I know that we're, we're probably unfair to the Pharisees sometimes. But what religion had done to God distanced him from us. In the Old Testament, you had a building. That building had a holy place and a most holy place where once a year, a high priest representing the nation could come before God. Now, that's already Intimacy. The very fact that God said yes to Moses and said, I'm going to place my tent among your tents, that's already intimacy. The very fact that man could approach his throne even once a year is intimacy. It's already there. But then he goes a step further in Christ. And so the only question I want to ask you this morning is, do you think Jesus brought us closer to God or further away from God? We don't have that building today. And the truth is, for those of us who grew up low church, which is most of us, we call it low church if there's bubbles in the carpet, and you didn't grow up high church where you've walked in these massive cathedrals and you've thought, wow, this feels holy, this feels crazy. And you grow up with a true teaching that is God's building is not something that is made with hands, right? This is not something that is, this is not the house of God. But we also end up with an implied teaching that there is not a house of God. And that we actually feel more distant today, I think, in some circles than they felt in the Old Testament. And that God is up there and there is no place to approach his throne. And the message of Christ and the message of Paul and the message you see throughout the New Testament is you live life before the throne of God. You are in his sacred and holy presence. 
and how much that has impacted my life. I, I wish I could say I'm a better person because of it. I hope I am. But how much it impacts my life when I'm having a conversation with one of you. Particularly if we're disagreeing about something. And we're each at each throats about hopefully that doesn't happen too much. But I, I picture myself as standing before the throne of God in his temple, in his house, with his children. And the reverence I show and, and the love that I want to show and what it is to treat his house with respect. Um, that's what it is to be a church community, to recognize exactly where we are and exactly who we are interacting with one another. It brings a sense of reverence and sacredness to our relationships. In my marriage, I'm given this woman as God's daughter before his throne. How will I honor him through my love for her? As my brothers and sisters in Christ, when we disagree over what color the walls in this room are going to be next year, and we're at each other's throats, who are we really? When there's something that's coming between brothers and sisters in Christ, or even those outside of Christ, whatever it is, do you recognize that you're standing in God's throne room before Him? And I pray that God will give us that vision um, because it, it, it's terrifying and beautiful at the same time, right? Uh, Father, I just want to come before you and I ask uh, that we would take a teaching of a 12-year-old boy um, to heart. Um, God, that it's, it's amazing to think that um, a 12-year-old slept with the menorah as his nightlight and in your presence. And uh, this message and this scene so much speak to the reality that I think you want us to live in and the hope that you've prepared for us. I pray, God, that our intimacy with you would grow and grow and grow and we would recognize you as the Father um, that no father on earth could ever be and that we would recognize one another as brothers and sisters in your very house. And I pray, God, that we won't again turn your house to a den of robbers, that we won't again turn your house into a market. Uh, But, God, we would recognize the sanctuary that we live in. I love you, God, so much for loving us the way you do. And I pray, God, that um, you'd cause us to sleep um, in the same spirit, Samuel, to hear your voice in the same way he did and to hear the voice of love. Uh, Thanks for giving us one another. Thanks for life in your presence. It's in the name of Christ we come before you and praise you. Amen. Let's stand and worship our God.